each January, we seek to preach a message on ethnic unity, which is a very important subject in God's eyes. And it's important for Christians as we seek to engage the culture biblically. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. You know, sometimes we can go too far with something and we don't even realize it. Take Christmas cookies as an example. Christmas cookies are one of the greatest inventions of all time. What other time of the year do you have unlimited access to a bountiful variety of delicious cookies? We have a little gingerbread, a little cardboard gingerbread house where we keep all of our cookies and it, it sits on the counter. And anytime you walk past the gingerbread house, you can grab a cookie. What, what an incredible gift from God. <laughs> the problem is that it's very hard to not go too far with the Christmas cookies. I saw a meme which I think captures the problem perfectly and I think we have that. It says, when you finally realize you've had one too many Christmas cookies. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that, <laughs> that about captures it. Sometimes we can go too far when it comes to our differences. You know, it's very natural for us to be aware of differences. We notice differences all the time, differences in what we look like, different preferences or ideas, differences in wealth, differences in strength or, or beauty, differences in size or shape, cultural differences, intellectual differences. You know, whenever we interact with someone, either in person or on a screen, we are usually aware of differences. And it's not necessarily wrong to notice differences. Many of our differences are important, and they are to be celebrated. They're designed by God. And our differences are really important when it comes to ideas and beliefs. But there are times when we can take certain differences too far. When we see differences in someone and, and view them in a negative light. When we define someone or stereotype someone according to these differences. Or even worse, when we devalue someone because we don't agree with them. Our differences can lead us to show partiality, to show favoritism towards some and prejudice toward others. Partiality means to favor someone for wrong reasons, to, to prefer someone because of externals or biases or, or stereotypes. And James has something to say about this. 
Look at James chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So why is partiality, why is it wrong? Well, we see three reasons from this text. Number one, partiality is wrong because it's sinful. We see that in verses one through four. James says the problem is that we are making distinctions. Not distinctions that we need to make, like what team we like or what music we listen to, but sinful distinctions in how we act or how we think about someone. Distinctions in how we treat people. He's not talking about innocent observations. He's talking about showing favoritism or disfavoritism, treating someone unfavorably. Partiality is about making unnecessary distinctions. And to make these distinctions, we judge. As it says in verse 4, we become judges with evil thoughts. We, we set ourselves up as these judges determining what is good in someone and what is not. We, we determine who is valuable and condemn those who we believe are not. Let's look at the example that James gives. So you have this guy, you're, you're having a church service on Sunday morning, you have this guy, this visitor who walks in with some very nice clothes, all right? He's dripping. I had to ask my girls about that term because I'm not as cool as I once was. It means he was looking really good. You could even say, he has drip, all right? He also has on some bling. I did not have to ask my girls about that term. Bling means he had lots of jewelry. He was, looking, he, he was really like blinged up. Well, I made that up. That doesn't work. Anyway, the usher sees this guy, right? He's, he's this new guy coming into church. He knows this guy must be important. He's got money. And so he gives him the best seat that he can find and takes super good care of him. 
Then this poor man walks in. His clothes are a mess. The only thing dripping on this guy is probably his nose. He probably smells. He obviously doesn't take care of himself, and he clearly doesn't have any money. So the usher makes a distinction. He makes a value judgment. He doesn't think that this poor man matters the way the rich guy does. He shows favoritism, and he tells the poor man to just find a seat in the back or just sit on the floor. What has this usher done? He has shown partiality. He's sinned against this poor man. He's judged him, and he's dishonored him by making him sit on the floor. Now, like most examples in the Bible, it's easy to condemn the bad guy in the story, this, this usher. By the way, thanks to our ushers who keep us off the floor and do a great job every week. So thank you. But it's easy to condemn this guy, isn't it? Like, how, how could he do such a thing? But we need to be willing to, to look in the mirror. James is writing this to, to Christians, his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Partiality is not a sin that only non-Christians commit. It's something Christians commit. And I think that it happens more than we realize. We so often have wrong thoughts or even evil thoughts towards others. And we need to think about this. We need to, to be honest with ourselves. When we see someone who is clearly different from us in a certain way, what's the first thing that we think? You know, for me, it's often some kind of partiality. I, I can look down on people. I can feel superior to them, and I can treat them differently because of my bias, because of partiality. Andy Nicelli says, any time you have a group of sinful humans, there will be divisions. Even if every human has the same skin color, sinful people sinfully divide. That's true, isn't it? Sinful people sinfully divide people. They create a sinful us versus them system. This happens on school playgrounds among third graders, and it has happened over and over in human history between ethnic groups all over the world. We sinfully divide. We, we categorize people. We, we favor people who seem more valuable to us and ignore or look down on those who we don't deem as valuable. And, and it can be very subtle, just, just a slight sense of superiority in our hearts, a slight assessment of someone's worth or value. This happens for me in lots of areas, and, and it's happening in our culture on a massive scale. Differences in politics, in ethnicity, in gender, these are 
explosive and very divisive issue, issues. But as Christians, how should we relate to these things? How should we relate to these things? When you see someone, what is the first thing that you notice? What is the first thing that you should notice? What is the main feature we should see? Economic status? Beauty? Race? Listen, when we see someone, the main thing we should see is a fellow image bearer. Someone that has been created in the image and likeness of God. Now, I am not saying that differences aren't important and even worth celebrating. What I'm saying is that our differences are not the most important. What we should see first is that every human being is created in God's image. Every human being is made in the likeness of God. Every human being, no matter who they are or what they look like, has the same value and dignity as everyone else. This passage makes that clear when it comes to the poor, but it also applies to those who are from different ethnicities. No ethnic group is inherently superior to another ethnic group. We are all equally made in God's image. That's why ethnic partiality is sinful. Human beings resemble and represent God. We're like God in many ways. And this should greatly affect how we relate to and treat others. Let me give you an example. Uh, where I grew up in South Jersey, was, it was pretty rural. There, there weren't many African Americans. I think there were two in my graduating class of 220. Um, there were lots of Mexicans working in the fields, uh, but their kids weren't in the United States, so they weren't in school. I didn't have... Friends, I wasn't friends with any, any Mexicans. I was friends with one Jewish family and one Asian family. Funny story on that. The boy uh, from this Japanese family, he could barely, he could speak no English. And we'd have in our home, we thought his name was Kanichiwa. And it was only years later that I learned that that actually means hi in Japanese. So we're like, hey, what was your name? Kanichiwa. Oh, Kanichiwa. Hi, how are you? We called him Kanichiwa the whole time. We never knew his name was. But anyway, he was our friend. <laughs> um, so not a lot of different ethnicities growing up. My grandfathers were very racist. In college, I brought a friend, a graduate student from Taiwan home for Thanksgiving, and one of my grandfathers, who was a World War II veteran, uh, proceeded to tell him why he didn't like Asian people. Now, I was not aware of this conversation, but I found out that it happened. My other grandfather used racially charged terms to identify Italians and African Americans and really every other ethnicity. Neither of them tried to hide their disdain for those who were not like them. 
And their racism impacted me. It colored the way I viewed different ethnicities. I looked down on people that had different skin. I, I felt superior. I made sinful judgments and sinful distinctions. I was partial and I was biased. Thank God that he saved me and he changed the way that I think about people. I don't have those thoughts. He's helped me to grow in this area, but I still see the seeds of partiality in my heart. And I don't want that sin to be in there. I don't want that sin to affect the way I think about others or the way I treat others. Now, let me just say this. I think as a church, you guys do a great job with this. I see the tangible love that you have for all people. I've especially seen it in many of the outreach ministries that we have as we go out into the community. You guys have done an outstanding job showing honor and value and love to all people. But let's be aware of the subtlety and the slyness of this sin. Let's diligently search our hearts for any partiality that lingers there. So that's number one, partiality is wrong because it's sinful. Number two, partiality is wrong because it's foolish. Let's go back to verse five. James says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, I love how James addresses these believers. I love how he says, my beloved brothers. He loves them dearly. And I want to say to you, I love you dearly. I feel just the same way that James does. He loves them dearly, and he loves them enough to correct them. Not only is partiality a sin, it's also foolish. It doesn't make practical sense. They were placing great value and favor on the rich man. They were fawning over this guy, even though it was the rich that were dragging them into court and blaspheming God's name. Now, not all rich people are like this. James is simply speaking in general. But he's saying, why would you favor these people? They're not out for your best interest. They're against you, and they're against God. Why are you valuing them so much? See, God doesn't place value on the rich man's money. He places value on the poor man's faith. The poor don't seem to matter in this world because they don't have money. But that's not what ultimately matters. They might not have an inheritance on earth, but they do in heaven. They might not seem important in the eyes of the world, but they are to God. They are rich in faith and they are heirs of the kingdom. This guy, this poor guy, is truly important. He's an heir of the kingdom. That means he is a prince. 
Verse 5 tells us that God has chosen them. Speaking of the poor, they, they belong to God. God. God doesn't care about their bank accounts. He cares about their souls. Now, this passage is not teaching that being poor means that you're saved or that being poor is more righteous than being rich or owning things, but it is showing us the heart of God for those who are poor and needy. Alex Motyer says this. He said, the Lord does not choose only the poor. It is not only the rich who persecute believers and blaspheme the name of Jesus. Yet in general, this is not only true, but overwhelmingly true. The preponderance of the Lord's concern is shown for those who are toward, towards the bottom of the world's heap. Did you catch that? The preponderance of the Lord's concern is shown for those who are towards the bottom of the world's heap. In other words, love of the poor, downtrodden, and helpless is written into the divine nature. Jesus has a special place in his heart for those who are weak and needy and oppressed. His heart yearns to bring tenderness and care to those who have been dismissed or marginalized or discriminated against. I mean, Jesus himself was born into a poor, insignificant family. He never had any money. Matthew and Luke tell us that he had no place to lay his head. When he hung on the cross, all he had were his clothes, and they even gambled those away, so he literally died with nothing. And 2 Corinthians 8 tells us that he became poor so that by his poverty, we might become rich. That is glorious. This is why he's called the Lord of glory, because he stepped down into poverty so that by his death, we could become rich. See, our society values things that don't have eternal value. They value or devalue people based on bank account, sexual appeal, and, and political parties. But what makes you valuable in this life is not how much you make, it's not how beautiful you are. It's not how good you are at sports. It's not your vaccine status. It's not what you think about Meghan Markle. It is what you think about Jesus. I think our distinctions are important, but the only distinction that ultimately matters is whether someone is saved or not. If we want to make a necessary and important distinction between people, it needs to be between those who are in Christ and those who are not. Not so that we can look down on the unsaved, no. So that we can love them and reach them with the gospel that has reached us. That's what James does in this passage. He places value on faith in Christ. Do you have faith in Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus for eternal life? Have you found mercy and forgiveness 
in Christ. Your eternal salvation depends on it. This is the most important thing about us, our connection to and our relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to value your heritage or your ethnicity. I'm not saying that at all. I, I love that I'm Irish. Newsflash, I'm a lot more German than Irish, but it just sounds cooler to say that I'm Irish, okay? I'm just letting you in on that. So I, I don't think that it's wrong to value being Irish, but it's wrong if I take pride in being Irish and think that that makes me better than others. And that goes for you Italians as well. You're not better than everyone else. I'm looking at you, I know where you sit too. Yeah, look, they're over here, I see Joe's there. Yeah, I see where you're at. You're not better than everybody else, all right? Now listen, I know we're joking about this to some degree, and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but listen, it, it, was, it was for Irish and Italian immigrants 100 years ago. Think about this. Americans didn't want these immigrants. Maybe the early Americans started out with some partiality and bias, but those seeds can be hard to contain, and they grew into discrimination and division and racism. How much more so with Native Americans and African Americans? They have experienced horrific forms of partiality and discrimination in our country's history. This sin is not harmless. It has destroyed countless lives, and it continues to devastate and defraud and demoralize many. So that's number two, partiality is wrong because it's forced. Number three, last point, partiality is wrong because it violates the law of love. It violates the law of love. Verse eight says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So, so James here pulls out the final blow against partiality, okay? This is, this is his finishing move. So like in WWF or WWE type wrestling, they have a finishing move. Like Hulk Hogan had the big leg where he dropped, then he rolls him over and pins him. This is James's finishing move. You know what it is? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is how he puts an end to partiality. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. When we're being partial or making sinful distinctions, we're not loving people. We're not honoring them. We're treating them as equal image bearers. And God wants us to love people and treat others, others the way we treat ourselves. So how can we love our neighbors, especially when they are different from us and we're tempted to make ungodly distinctions? How can we promote unity among different kinds of people? I just have three tips. These are suggestions or tips. The first one I have is this. Don't let minor distinctions become major ones. 
Don't let minor distinctions become major. This is, this is what we are being trained and conditioned to do, to take certain distinctions about people and to make them major things and to, to marginalize them and judge them and cancel them. This is what partiality is all about. We are being bombarded every day from every possible angle with a message. This message comes in our 24-hour news cycles, the ads on our phones, the movies that we watch. Basically, it's on every screen that we look at or listen to. The message is this. You must distrust people who you do not agree with. You must take offense at people who are on the wrong side of things. And you are free to dishonor people made in the image of God. Some of you may have heard this, but J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series, was not invited to the 20th anniversary reunion of the Harry Potter movies because of her views on, trans, on the transgender movement. She was canceled. There is tremendous force. You have to understand this. We have to understand this, church. There is tremendous force seeking to push you to the extremes and convince you that you are right and everyone else must be canceled. We're being conditioned to think this way. And as Christians, listen, we have to be discerning. We can't let the world push us into this. We can't stereotype people and put them in a box. We, we can't make everything a major issue. We have to keep our greatest focus and passion on Christ. Jesus and him crucified is the main thing. This is what our lives are built on. This is what this church is built on, and this is what we should be most passionate about. When people talk to us, they should not hear what we are most against. When we talk to people, do they hear more about what we're against or more about what we are for? We are people that are for Christ and we're for those who need Christ. We should be talking about Jesus more than anything else. Church, talk about Jesus. Sing about Jesus, think about Jesus, dream about Jesus, be passionate about Jesus. Some of you remember a dear brother uh, from our church, Aunt Vitaly, who died last week. And Aunt was a, just such a joyful brother. I remember this story where he and a group of, of singles years ago uh, and I think we have a, do we have a picture of him? I think I, I asked them to put that up. I don't know if we do, if you remember him. But yeah, there's, there he is. Um, just such a joyful man. Uh, and when he was a young Christian, he was so passionate. Him and a group of singles went to this Hillsong uh, concert and service up in New York City. And there was a bunch of them that went. And there was um, this message that was preached. They had great worship. And then the message... And the guy who preached was preaching this, this prosperity gospel, this false gospel. And Ant just stood up. He was, a, he was young because he's so full of He stood up and he said, it's all about Jesus. Preach Jesus. Now that would be pretty hard to recover from a moment like that. But I love that. Even this young believer knew 
It's all about Jesus. Preach Jesus. That's what it's all about. Second tip. Second tip. Listen to those who think differently from you. Now, this is a concern that our pastors have, and it's a concern I have for myself. We aren't listening to people who think differently than us. We tend to just listen to what we already agree with, and and we tend to be partial. And as a society, not only are we not listening to others, we're not very entreatable. Once we form an opinion, we tend to be immovable, and we often won't change what we think, even if there are good reasons to. And I think that's true in a lot of areas, but it's particularly true in how we relate to issues of race and ethnicity. One of the obstacles that makes this hard for us is the way people are stereotyped and and judged and canceled. Shai Lin wrote a helpful book called The New Reformation, and I was affected reading about his his experiences with racism growing up. But there was one section that was especially helpful. He talked about how labeling someone as a racist or using the term racism is not helpful because no one wants to think of themselves as a racist. That's like the KKK or or some other extreme group. They're racist and not me. The problem is that this can keep us from looking at our own hearts and trying to discern where we might be showing partiality. But, but Shai gives us a helpful way to think about this. He breaks things down into degrees of what he calls ethnic sins, and he uses more biblical categories. So he talks about ethnic hatred or oppression. That's the most extreme category. That's where hatred of another race or ethnicity can lead to violence. That's like the KKK. But there's also other degrees, ethnic pride, which is a feeling of superiority over other ethnic groups. Ethnic favoritism or partiality, which is what we've been talking about, giving preferential treatment to someone on the basis of their ethnicity. Ethnic idolatry, which is exalting and finding your primary identity in your ethnicity. And ethnic neglect, which is failing to care for someone because of their ethnicity. I think it's really helpful to have these categories, and they can help us resist the temptation to just kind of write it all off and to not listen. And church, I want to say this. We should not be afraid to repent when we have sinned. I've been confessing a lot this week in areas where I am partial, where I have bias and, and, and pride. I've confessed where I've been against people. I can, I can so easily be against people for, for lots of, of reasons, even biblical reasons, like what I believe versus what other Christians believe. I don't struggle as much with non-Christians. I don't expect them to believe what I believe, and I also don't expect them to act the way Christians act. It's the Christians that I can struggle the most with. But listen, we need to be able to love people that we disagree with. Last tip, pay attention to people who are different. Pay attention to people. Did you notice how it said that in verse three where the usher was paying attention to the rich guy? As we seek to grow in ethnic unity, let's pay attention 
to people from other ethnicities. Let's build friendships across ethnic lines. Let's ask questions. Let's listen and learn. And let's love one another as we love ourselves. And again, many of you do this so well. You're an example of what ethnic unity should look like. And it reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's such a great illustration of this. Remember, Jesus told this story in response to a lawyer who wanted to put limits on the command to love his neighbor. And so he told the story about the priest and the Levite who ignored the Jewish man who was beaten and left to die. But it was the Samaritan whose people hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritan. It was that Samaritan that helped this man. The good Samaritan beautifully demonstrates that our call to love our neighbor knows no ethnic, no religious, and no national bounds. So let's continue to be a church that loves our neighbor as ourselves. Amen.